You're in focus now, Paul. And press the button, Harvey. Press the button, my friend. Send me back into time. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I am Terry. And we are joined uh, by a special guest. Uh, it's a friend of the show, Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding, man. Yeah. So we are, we're all um, working from home, so to speak, in this episode. We're, uh, we're, we're doing some social distancing, as in like Terry and I are in Ohio and you're in Florida. So I think I think we might be okay. I don't know. Um, they say keep six states away. I think we're more than six states, right? That's what they tell people to do. I think that's right. That's a bad joke. I, I think so. <laughs> I think they're still trying to figure that part out. Yeah. I, I did. I went to Florida public schools. I mean, I'm lucky I can count the three. <laughs> um, I, I went to school in West Virginia, so I'm lucky that I got out of there. <laughs> right? So whatever. Um, Wait, you guys went to school? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we're we're here to talk about some some Twilight Zone, um, which it feels odd to me that we're going to be talking about a quaint little show about what might be in the middle of everything that's going on right now. Everyone's been posting things about like, oh, I didn't realize we turned the clocks back. We'd be going back to the Twilight Zone. I'm like, oh, that's your easy go to now. Like the Twilight Zone is just more than just, you know, than just social distancing. Sometimes you almost get to kill Hitler multiple times. That's what I think. That's what the Twilight Zone is. So, um, so yeah, I asked Trevor to be on the show because I know you are a history buff, and also I know okay. you you like you know you like cool things and good storytelling. Um, I don't know Twilight Zone's a cool thing. Don't know if this episode's good storytelling. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, what is your relationship with the Twilight Zone? Uh, probably goes back to when I was a kid. Uh, not kid, kid, but probably like young adolescence. Um, my mom introduced us to a lot of weird stuff growing up. Oh, like, here's watch Aliens when you're ten, and watch Jaws, and then let's go to the beach. <laughs> so uh, she got us in. Yeah, exactly. And she was in the realm of psychology, so I don't know how that worked. Um, so she got us in the Twilight Zone, and we used to watch the marathons. The usually the big hitters, uh, you know, Terror Thirty Thousand Feet, and, and and that. Like, I mean, I never as much of a deep dive as you guys are doing. Um, and of course, watch the, the movie where Dan Aykroyd scares somebody in a car. Um, that was really about it. Not, not like a huge buff about it. Um, always just kind of caught it on sci-fi. So it's kind of passing, but still very interested in it. So are you like, I know that you, a lot of the times when you've been on the talk without rhythm podcast, you've picked a lot more military based films. Are you, what, what, what is your, 
I guess what's your relationship with like horror and sci-fi? I, I, you know, that's something I never really asked you. I just know, I know you have a lot of interests in history. I just don't know where you're at with science fiction and fantasy. Um, uh, one of the movies growing up I love was Aliens 2. And uh, one of my, but and I remember always watching that and just thinking, oh my God, the, the Colonial Marines are the coolest thing in the world, even though they're in it for 10 minutes. Um, and grew up watching a lot of sci-fi, um, uh, watched that, got into, my uncle was huge in Star Trek, so of course watched, you know, Wrath of Khan, and uh, with horror, uh, watched Halloween 1 when I was very, very young, again, I don't know why, but he <laughs> did. Uh, it was just one of these things, my mom was kind of a, here, watch this, like, watched Wizards when I was very, very young, and had no idea what was going on, <laughs> I know your thoughts about wizards, so I'll leave that off the show. Um, but I always kind of, I always liked it too. I love uh, reading sci-fi. I, for those of you who play tabletop games, I play Warhammer Forty Thousand. So you know, former marine with playing with little plastic men rolling dice. Um, played Dungeons and Dragons. Also, my uncle was a huge, huge Star Trek fan and was captain of the football team down in Miami. Um, and going into the marines you don't realize how many really nerdy people there are they just cover a facade because they're you know big guys with guns and digital camo my buddy my platoon sergeant actually we used to quote movies all the time whether it's serenity or one of his favorite things was the was from aliens i'd always kind of be the hudson because i was a private and lance corporal at the time and constantly you know complaining and moaning and groaning and he would just kind of be he, he was the hicks to my hudson basically and we still have that kind of relationship today, nice. especially when when the whole Space Force thing came out. We we're like, it's our time. <laughs> Let's go to LV-426. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm glad that we're having those that want to volunteer for the Space Force. We appreciate your service. Um, so, uh, so yo, Terry, you know. do you think he passes the, the litmus <laughs> test to be here talking about Twilight Zone? I think he sufficiently passes the test. I think we are ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I'd asked Trevor to be on this episode uh, sight unseen, as in like I, none of us had seen this episode before. It is season four, episode 10, No Time Like the Past. Uh, air date, March 7th, 1963. Number one film, How the West Was Won. Uh, number one song, Walk Like a Man by the Four Seasons. Everyone knows that song. Uh, at least, I mean, at least the chorus. Um, so, uh, I didn't have anything for the day the episode aired. However, I found some weird, sad stuff that happened around this. So on March 5th, uh, 63, Patsy Cline was killed in a plane crash, um, when she was like coming back from a performance and that, that sucks because everyone knows Patsy Cline on the eighth. So the day after this episode aired, uh, Jack Anglin, an American country music singer, was killed near Madison, Tennessee, while driving to Nashville to attend memorial services for Patsy Cline. So, not a good day, not a good week for uh, for country music. Not obviously. at all. No, like just no. no. That's that's a bummer. Like I'm like, oh, there there was that trend though, like in the '60s of like uh, up and coming stars dying in plane crashes. I don't know if that was like like your license to be cool, but it seems like that happened a lot. But I know that's that's I'm making light of something that was terrible, but that seemed to happen to a lot of performers, though. It's like, hey, did you want to travel by a really cool bus or this cool airplane? We'll do the plane. Well, we might see you yeah. later. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I heard my, my music. buddy, Buddy Holly knows how, knows how to fly a plane. He taught me. <laughs> so, Terry, you were yeah, saying if my music career ever takes off. I, I'm never getting on a plane again. 
<laughs> Are you going to be like John Madden and just take a bus everywhere? Is that what's going to happen? That's yeah. That, I'd probably be that guy. Honestly, I'd probably even probably take my own car. I'm like, no, there's too many people on this. I'm not driving it, so there's still a possibility of something going wrong. Well, I know that there's an MMA fighter that won't take uh, air travel and he has to drive cross country to all his matches. And it's like he has this whole ritual of like trying to stay in shape uh, while driving. And it's like insane. So he like takes two weeks to go to locations so he could prep pr appropriately on his way to a fight. So, you know, I get it. But it's also, you know, it, you know, it's weird. That's that's all I'll say about in regards to, you know, the, the stuff with um, celebrities and air travel. That's not this episode, though. But day and date, that's what I have. Terry, did you have anything else for around this time? No, you actually got the notes that I had on it. I just feel like it wouldn't be an episode of Strange Highways without mentioning some type of weird, like, um, like automobile, or not automobile, but some type of, like, you know, travel-related death. Like, because it feels like, what was it, two seasons ago, we had some guy get out of a helicopter and walk into the prop on the back. So, you know, you got to bring it Jeez. up when it happens, right? So... Uh, this was written by uh, Rod Serling. This is what we're going to do, cast and crew. Directed by Justice Addis. Uh, this is his third of three Twilight Zone episodes. He had also directed the Rip Van Winkle Caper and the Odyssey of Flight 33. Um, those previous two episodes also dealt with time travel. Uh, the Rip Van Winkle Caper was people sleeping until the future. I consider that time travel. So weird that they would bring him in. So that this was his wheelhouse, was time travel. Yeah, and then uh, uh, outside of those, I uh, had that uh, he did 10 episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and then he did uh, 16 episodes of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. So if only there was some episode that would have dealt with the bottom of the ocean that was the 30 Fathom Grave from earlier in the season, they could have had him in for that. Uh, no. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's just get into uh, to cast. So, Terry, what do, you, what do you got for me here? Uh, I got Dana Andrews. Uh, he plays... Paul Driscoll. Uh, this was only Twilight, only his uh, his only Twilight Zone appearance. Um, he also did Playhouse ninety, so there's a you know obviously a connection there, and Night Gallery, so another connection. And then uh, a long stint of time on some show called Bright Promise. Yeah, he was kind of um, kind of a darling in the '40s. Uh, he actually made his first big. Uh, his people first noticed him in a, a western called The Oxbow Incident with Henry Fonda. Um, that was like his breakout role. And then he was also in Laura, that film noir that has Vincent Price. I've seen it before. I don't remember. I don't remember it, though. Um, but he in the 40s, he was kind of like a big deal. But he ended up like having issues with alcohol and he kind of fell off the scene. But I have this I have this note here. In the late 40s, during the height of his popularity, a publicist for Fox sent a telegram to the mayor of Collins, Mississippi, suggesting the town change its name to Andrews in honor of its native son. The mayor wired back, we will not change our name to Andrews. Have Andrew change his name to Collins. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a way to stick it to him. <laughs> and uh, so I thought that was great where it's like, don't care. Hey, you can change his name to the town. We're not changing our name. Uh, he was also in um, 1975's Take a Hard Ride, which was a spaghetti western that had, um, oh, the name's um, uh, Jim Brown, uh, you know, famous Cleveland running back is in that. So, um, yeah, I thought I recognized him. Like, he seems like one of those guys that would have been the Twilight Zone previous to this. And this is his only one. Yeah, I, I, I've not seen him before. Um, even in those things I had listed off, I didn't know him and any of his IMDb. So, I, I thought he was serviceable in this episode. But uh, outside of that, I don't really know him. 
it's it's funny because now when I think back to the episode and I'm thinking of him, I know this isn't the image in my head, but I keep thinking of Shooter McGavin from uh, Billy Madison, not Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. Like I feel like that actor would have been this character. Like I feel like he would have done well with that. And I know they don't look exactly alike, but I keep getting that vibe from him. Um, but yeah, uh, did you have any other notes for uh, Mr. Andrews? I do not. All right. Uh, so moving yeah. on, we have uh, Patricia Breslin. Uh, she plays Abigail Sloan. Uh, she did one other episode. It was a uh, Nick of Time. Yeah, it was her and, and Shatner and the and, and the um, fortune telling machine with the devil head. Very good, very good episode. Yeah. And then uh, she did a pretty long stint of The People's Choice, and then she was on The Peyton Place. That was a uh, one that we had talked about on other links to Twilight Zone. It seems like a lot of cast members have been on that show. Yeah, so here here's the here's the fact that this is going to blow your mind, Terry. You ready for this about Patricia Breslin? Give it to me. We talked about this during Nick of Time, but I want to mention it again because it's been a while. She was the wife of Art Modell. Like, she got married to him in 69. And so she became a, a well-known philanthropist in Cleveland, uh, where Terry and I are both at right now, uh, and actually set up – she was one of the people behind starting the uh, Case Western – sorry, Hospice of the Western Reserve at Cleveland Clinic. So she did a lot for the city. And she married a, a guy who gutted the city by removing the Browns. <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, it was, she had both ends of the spectrum. Uh, had a hit terrible decision on marrying that son of a bitch. <laughs> and it <laughs> did so much for the city otherwise. So, yeah, Trevor, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with Art Modell. Cleveland does not like Art Modell now. I'll just throw that out there. I don't know if you're that familiar with that man. But he took the Browns away. Moved to Baltimore, won a Super Bowl, and we've never forgiven him. And then he died, and we were like, "Oh, that happened." Yeah, no, I'm not too familiar with him. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Raiders fan, so uh, oh, you wouldn't, yeah, you you wouldn't know it all. Yeah. You wouldn't know it all about teams moving for no reason and and gutting fan base. <laughs> <at all. laughs> no, not the least. Not Al at Davis, all. Davis, who was like, I don't care what they can play. Can they run fast? Oh, sign yeah, them. Like, like Oakland, <laughs> Los Angeles, Oakland, Vegas, whatever. You know, that's fine. Um, so, so yeah, um, this is her second and last appearance of the twilight zone. Uh, and then that's, yeah, that's all I got for her. Yep. That's me too. Uh, um, by the way, I'm, so, I'm, just, I'm sorry. My dog was barking. Sorry. That, no, that's, that's fine. Maybe the dog, the dog doesn't like art model, which is that's, I think dogs know when bad people are around. So I feel like that's appropriate. <laughs> that's evil. Yeah. It's like, I heard the name, you know? So yeah. Anyway, what what else do we have here, Terry? Uh, so we have uh, Malcolm Adbury, Adderbury. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. Uh, Profe- Professor Elliot. Uh, one other episode. It was uh, Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Ugh, yeah, yeah. Um, one of, <laughs> like that was one of one of the road bumps uh, um, in the first season. That it was like the second episode, if I remember right, or third episode, and he plays almost the same guy. And this one, he plays like a snake oil salesman. And in that episode, he played like a guy pulling into town with a wagon uh, called Dr. Fate selling like elixirs and stuff. So I'm like, oh, talk about being typecast. Uh, but he was he yeah, was also that, an episode of Hawaiian Eyes. So I'll give him credit for that. Yep. And uh, he was in The Birds and The Towering Inferno. Now, do you think his lantern was flown horizontal into that building to cause The Towering Inferno? Do you think that's what happened? I see a connection. I see a connection. <laughs> you've you've uncovered something. The like, conspiracy theories are coming out now. Like the lantern, we'll talk about it, but it's like that. I've never seen a, a, a throw like 
completely horizontal like that. That was amazing to me. Like that, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's all I got for uh, Malcolm Atterbury. Yeah. Likewise. Um, so then, moving on. Uh, uh, so, what, how would you pronounce this name, Robert Corn uh, Cornthwaite? Cornthwaite. Yeah. All right. So he plays he plays Hanford. Uh, one other episode for him as well. Uh, Showdown with Race McCrew. Yeah. Show, I yeah. don't know that one. Uh, yeah. Showdown with Rance McGrew was from season three. Uh, it It's a comedy episode, but he was the director in that. And he actually was, he was the, playing the director in the episode because it was a what the show was about a Western being shot like a Western TV show. And he had like a couple comedy bits in that. Um, that was one that left me kind of flat, but your, your mileage may vary. And then, uh, otherwise, uh, the thing from another world. Oh yeah. Which I love. <laughs> Absolutely love that movie. And then, uh, war of the worlds. And we have Johnny midnight. It showed up. Well, good on you to do that deep dive. Cause I was like, Oh, he was in showdown. The ransom grew next. And I went on to the next person immediately. So thank you for, uh, make for, um, co- course correcting me there. I appreciate that. Uh, no problem. Uh, anyways, <laughs> then we have, uh, John, Zerba, Zerimba, I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, yeah. John Zumba, Terry. Yeah, (laughs) Zumba. Yeah, Terry strikes again with not being able to pronounce people's names correctly. No, these are not great. Like these are hard names. Just like nothing's good here. Like so. So uh, yeah, he was really just a bit player in this, but he was the horn player, and uh, his only appearance in Twilight Zone. Uh, He played in some show called. I led three lives. Uh, he was on that for like 69 episodes. But um, the only thing I really knew him from was he was in the Munsters. Oh, he would be in a TV series after this called Time Tunnel, which feels very appropriate. Uh, he was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye. <clears throat> and then I looked up trivia for him on IMDb and it just says trivia. He's a doppelganger for Donald Pleasance. I'm like, that's not trivia. That's just an opinion. <laughs> Okay, like, I feel like trivia has to have a source. Is that like, like, was it like, was Donald Pleasance like quoted being like, that guy looks like me? Like, you know, whatever. He was a Dr. Loomis standing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, just, oh, we can't get uh, John Zaremba. Let's get Donald Pleasance. I heard he's a John Zaremba doppelganger, you know, like, no. For the later Halloween movies, they just shoved him in. They just put some Pleasant's makeup on him. Yeah. 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 He was the one they set on fire in part four or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. We, we need the, we need the Pleasant's double to get in here. And he's like, I just know the French horn. It's like, just, we're going to cover you in, in gauze and set you on fire. It's fine. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that, that's all I had for him. And then uh, moving on, we have uh, C. Lindsay Workman. Uh, he was the bartender. Um, only yeah. Twilight Zone appearance, but he was on uh, Batman, Night Gallery, and then the '70s version of Westworld. Yeah, and he had a, he had a single line in Naked Gun Two and a Half. And the only reason I saw that is because if you look at the credits to that movie, when people had individual lines, they weren't given character names; they were just like the line name was written in the credits by their name. So I thought that's like I never thought we'd have a Naked Gun or Naked Gun Two and a Half connection. To the Twilight Zone, but here we are. Thank, thank God, <laughs> <laughs> it finally happened. Finally, now we need to start looking for Naked Gun uh, correlations here. No, I need Naked Gun thirty-three, the third, the final insult, and then then we'll be good. That's what I'm looking for. 
Or so, some Dracula dead hit. loving it connections. That'd be great too. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all we have for him. And then, uh, all right. So I really do not know. Is it Marjorie? Marjorie? Yeah, Marjorie. Wow, I'm terrible. <laughs> Mar- Marjorie Bennett. Hey. Yes. Yeah, so Terry knows how to read because he sounds things out. Um, so Marjorie Bennett, yeah, she plays uh, Mrs. Cha- Mrs. Chamberlain. Uh, two other episodes. She was in uh, Kick the Can and The Chaser. Yeah, she had a. She was one of my favorite parts in the beginning of The Chaser. She was an old lady waiting for the phone to use the payphone, and she was just you know like bitching at the guy in front of her. So it was funny. Um, I don't know if I noticed this the last two times she popped up, but she was actually in. Um, uh, Charlie Chaplin's film Limelight. So it just always blows my mind when you look at the show, which is now like 60 years old, and then you still see some of the contemporary things like, the, well, I guess Nick Gunn's like 20 years old now, but it feels contemporary to me. And then you have the actors here that existed in like Charlie Chaplin and like silent films. So that's always amazing to me, like the wide breadth of what came before and what would happen later. And that's yeah, it's really go. cool to see some of the IMDb's come back for uh, some of these actors and actresses. We're like, wow, that was the silent era. You know, talkies weren't like a thing when they started. So what really always, cool. It blows my mind when I see any actor that has a birthday like 1898. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that just, yeah. It's like, how did, how's that a thing? But that happens sometimes here. Uh, and then uh, she was also in Abbott and Costello meet. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And she was in Mary Poppins as well. Oh. And one I one I had to write down because I just love the name of it because it's so ridiculous. And it says, Three Nuts in Search of a Bolt. <laughs> is that an industrial <laughs> film? Like, is that like a how-to? I am not. Like, okay. Dude, I just had to leave it at the title because I don't, it just sounds like a porno. So I, don't, <laughs> I was like, this is. This is funny enough on its own. I don't need context. <laughs> yeah, I feel like watching that would ruin any expectation that you had for it. Yeah, I just need it set up just like it is, and I'm going to leave it alone. But... <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's so, all I got then, for her. Yeah, Yeah. likewise. And then uh, uh, Tudor Owen, uh, he plays the captain of the Lusitania. In this. Spoiler. Oh, all right. So, sorry. So... Oh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> sorry. Um. Uh, only episode of Twilight Zone again, uh, but he did a voice on 101 Dalmatians, and that's all I had for him. Yeah, he was the voice of Towser, which I, sounds like I know that. I, I'm i sure I've seen 101 Dalmatians. I don't remember anything about it other than there was a lot of dogs in it. That's what I do know. Um, I've, I've heard quite a few. and But he, was, he did a lot of radio work before doing that, so it's like he had like an established radio career, which that's something else that we don't think about, that that was like a big medium like in a big storytelling medium. And it would make sense to me that he would transition from that into doing like voice work and like animated films and other things. Yeah. It was a huge part of a lot of, uh, you know, childhoods for people. I like, you know, like my grandparents and that they were still talking about radio shows when they were kids and they'd, you know, tune in for like little orphan Annie and stuff like that. And it's like, this was a really big deal back in the day. I mean, even when the war of the world's, uh, thing happened look radio was still a huge medium and there wasn't a whole lot of people with tvs yeah and it's funny how that that 
idea of um, a long form or a weekly storytelling format has now like I, I don't know if you see like there's like podcasts that come out like every week now where it's like follow this ongoing story. I'm like, this is a radio drama. Don't try like gus it up as a podcast. We know it's a radio drama. So I feel like it's coming back around again in a weird way, in a fun way, because I feel like there's a lot of things you can do with that kind of medium that got forgotten for a while because they believed that visually was the only way to tell a story. And there's there's a lot of gold in them hills. Yeah, it's it sounds like a great concept. And I would have loved to at least taken a, a glance into this time to see how anticipated every episode would have been. You know, kids getting around the radio and, you know, getting their chocolate milk and like, getting all excited for it, see what happens next. I just think it would have been an interesting idea and a way to bring families together in a completely different way. And then yelling at everybody for talking. That would also have been pretty great. Too. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So uh, who, who do you have next? Uh, we have uh, James Wang or Yang. I have, Yangi, I have a list right? as Yagi. It's Y-A-G-I, I believe is his name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. get that. Again, t- I'm terrible. <laughs> Um, so he plays the Japanese police captain, um, only episode of twilight zone, but he was on Hawaiian eye and Johnny midnight. Yeah. He is the tie that binds. And he was also in, uh, 1962's King Kong versus Godzilla. So I just wanted to throw out some, uh, some Toho love there. Um, I think it's Toho at the time, right? It was Toho. Either way you got, you know, you, you get Godzilla, you recognize Godzilla. Uh, yeah. And Japanese King Kong. So it's going to be a little bit different this year. I can't wait to see the the new adaptation for it. Have but, you seen? Uh, yeah, King, that's all I have. Have you seen the new uh, Godzilla King of Monsters? I have. Yes, I loved it. Okay, Trevor, have you watched the Godzilla movies, the newer ones, or no? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I I love them. I I uh, watched the 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 new Godzilla. The, well, the newer Godzilla. And I didn't see Skull Island, and I'm not seeing King of Monsters yet. Um, her, Skull Island I, is a lot of fun. Uh, the, the other Godzilla is like, eh, it's not much of a Godzilla movie, but they definitely uh, uh, repented in King of the Monsters and came full force with the uh, giant monster fights. Well, that's that's what I want to see because I feel like people, I, I, I defend Pacific Rim and everyone's like, that's not that great, but I'm like, it's giant robots punching monsters. It's not like, exactly. What, what I do you had, want? So here's a fun anecdote. So I usually go to a comic book store, this gaming store, and there's a guy in there complaining about how. Pacific Rim is not realistic. And I've tried really, really hard <laughs> to hold back. And I asked him, like, is it a fictional movie? He said, yeah. I'm like, then what's the deal? It's giant <laughs> monsters fighting giant robots. I served in the military. I would love to have giant robots and fight giant monsters. What's wrong with this? Well, it, it's funny when I saw that movie in the theater, I should like I saw it by myself, uh, lost my mind, had to collect myself, drug my wife the next day to go watch it. And I was like, isn't this amazing? And she's like, ah, that love story didn't seem believable. I'm like, I'm like, wait, wait a second. The part with the robots, the monsters fighting each other, you were okay with, but the love story felt like, like that was tacked on. I'm like, well, like that's fine. But I was like, I mean, I guess the rest of the movie worked really well for you then. Like she didn't question Jaegers and, you know, (laughs) like class five monsters. It was just more like, I don't know if those two should be together. Like, so I thought, I thought that was funny, but yeah, I'm glad that uh, there was a Godzilla connection here. So, yeah, who else? Who else do we have for Terry? And, and Terry, have you have you seen Pacific Rim? Like, I don't know. We haven't had that talk yet. 
I had seen the first one. I liked it a lot, but I love I love just about everything I've seen from Guillermo del Toro. So anything he's connected to, I try to see it immediately. Yeah, the second one feels like a Netflix movie. I'll just throw like I liked it, yeah. but it's it's something's missing in it, you know. But I I heard a lot of negative uh, backlash about it, and uh, the fact that Guillermo wasn't part of it, I just I was kind of disappointed, and it just fell off my radar. So. It is what it is at this point. <laughs> All right. So uh, who do we have left here? All right. So Robert Simon is next. He plays Harvey. Um, he is the basic for, for context. He's the, the guy who helps run the time machine. So and this was his only appearance in Twilight Zone. Uh, he was in the Playhouse 90. He made an appearance in Johnny Midnight and Hawaiian Eye as well. Oh, wow. That's a good point. I didn't actually catch that. Um, what I have for him, he was born in 1908 in Mansfield, Ohio. So there you go. That's an Ohio connection. Woot. Woot. Clo- close enough to us, but he was born in the shadow of a prison. That's, you know, I don't know what that means. But um, all right. Uh, he was also J. Jonah Jameson in the live action 70s Spider-Man TV show. Like, I think yeah, I had great. that. I was like, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, uh, was it uh, J.K. Simmons? Is it, is it Simmons? Uh, yeah, J.K. Yeah. Simmons. I always want to flip his name with the Harry Potter author, and that's not right. Yeah, J.K. Simmons is my my J. Joe Jameson, but anybody that plays J. Joe Jameson gets my my seal of approval because they're just angry at Spider Man for no good reason. So yeah, that's what I got for him. Uh, anybody else in your casting crew? I do not have any. Okay, so I have more. Adolf Hitler as himself. Um, I don't know if you guys. <laughs> Glad he's able to carry the role still. <laughs> Um, he's been in a few things like, I don't know, World War II was one of them. Uh, he was also last seen recently in our episode. He's alive. Uh, so I just wanted to be like, huh, you know, he's still working. I don't know if I agree with that, but he's still, this is his second appearance in the season of the Twilight Zone. He's a starving artist, man. He's got, he's got to make it somehow. Right. I just, uh. I think this is his uh, third overall appearance too, like kinda. Uh, but yeah, I just I wanted to make sure that we we credited Adolf Hitler as himself. Um, so he's, he's pretty much typecast and everything he he's does. Typecast. <laughs> yeah, it's they like pigeonholed him. Yeah, it's like why just that, <laughs> like that that whole angry thing. Like, can you can you get past that? No. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's our cast and crew um so uh, yeah i guess we should get on the serling's intro here and then we'll talk about this uh this uh whiplash of an episode how it bounces back and forth but we'll let serling take it away and just letting you guys know time travel is loud so just just hold on to your butts here exit one paul driscoll a creature of the 20th century he puts to a test a complicated theorem of space-time continuum but he goes a step further or tries to. Shortly, he will seek out three moments of the past in a desperate attempt to alter the present, one of the odd and fanciful functions in a shadow land known as the Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, twi- the, sorry, not Twilight Zone, but time travel is so incredibly loud every time it happens in this episode. It's like, I feel like to, to be time travel, you have to throw a bunch of wrenches at things and then make the most loud electronic noises possible. That's how you go through time. And that's my thought. Or go 88, or go 88 miles an hour in, in a DeLorean. Well, that too, but you're standing perfectly still on this platform with these like party lights that go up to this uh, time cylinder or something. I don't know. Um, so, 
yeah. Uh, I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep putting this on Terry because I, I know he loves setting the stage. Tell us where this starts off at. Okay, so we open up into this large, almost like auditorium-style room. It's large ceilings, and um, this, these two voices are talking to each other, but you can't see the other guy yet. And he's messing around with some kind of equipment. And this is Harvey that we're talking about. And he, the other voices, he's talking about like how the 20th century is filled with like basically scum and people don't know how to treat each other. And he, he frowns upon the entire like timeline of people. And, uh, it's, we come to discover this is the time machine. This room is basically the time machine. Yeah. And, uh, I was going to say, so Trevor, I want you to imagine that's what our recording studio usually looks like. Like Terry's on top of the tunnel, the tube, like flipping knobs, and I'm just down below yelling about things is what, what happens. That's 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 our podcast studio is that, that time platform. Right now I have a nice mental image of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not wearing suits and ties, though, normally. that's uh, Oh, of course. you got to you know, be classy. Terry's wearing it. a hat, and I'm just, you know, I may or may not be wearing pants while we're doing that. That's what happens. You just need the close up on your face. That's all you really need. <laughs> um, yeah, it it's just, such it's such a go ahead. weird set. I didn't get it. I did see it like it, you're panning out, and it looks like a, he's on top of a smokestack. It, it was very weird. Yeah, that's why I call it like the the time tank. It's like you're climbing up like the side of like you're like oh that holds the that holds time juice or. I don't know, ethanol or something. I don't know what it holds, but it's and then and then you have like you have like a reel to reel machine back there where that's recording time. I don't know. Um, and you got knobs and switches. I mean, it's fine. Like the design of it looks weird, and there's a reason for that. Um, because it almost looks like it slapped together at the last minute because it was. Um, but what helps it is because it's shot in black and white. So the, the nice contrast of the lighting of everything makes it look kind of cool, even though the design itself makes no sense. Yeah, that's pretty much where I was going with it. it like, as I'm watching it panning out, I'm like, what the hell are we even looking at here? I thought this was about time travel. And just, the guy was just standing on a platform, and you see these weird globe lights, the string lights coming down from that platform. Uh, that the other that Harvey's standing on with the equipment and it just didn't make any sense. It's it, it seemed like all they wanted you to focus on though was all the dialogue that was happening. Yeah. Because everything looked like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hoping that well, was like Chinese lanterns. Win. Yeah. I was hoping it was like Chinese lanterns running up there like it was like a deck party. And they're like, oh, what's going on? We're gonna have some margs and some There's time like a little travel. Corner tiki bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for my notes, it looked like somebody just went to Spencer's right before and they just picked up a bunch of like flashlights and uh, string lights and like, make it work, guys. Like the production team was like, oh, we're going to do our best here, dude. I was like, see him, like, unravel like tangled like Christmas lights for like 20 minutes. And you scream at Harvey, untangle the lights. And you're like, listen, like the lights have to fire sequence. That's how time travel works, you know? So, and like, and one bulb's out, you got to test every single bulb, to make sure that bulb works. You're like, listen, this one doesn't fire. I'm going to miss decades if this one doesn't work right. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's like, it's like Paul is like, listen, I have to show up in time six minutes before anything happens anyway. I cannot. I can't be like off by hours because that would be too easy. Then I need to be there moments before the bad stuff happens. 
Um, I'm, I'm stepping on that. So uh, I just want to mention at the very start of the episode, though, you hear this bong noise that starts the episode off. That noise you hear multiple times in the episode, it is a music cue that the Twilight Zone has used multiple times to signal something bad happening. So I don't know if they're just trying to like front sell like, hey, guys, this may not be the best episode. We're going to warn you with this really bad noise at the beginning of the episode. Um, but it was always like the noise that you hear when a twist was announced. Now, I thought that was interesting that they started off before dialogue even happened. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what the thought process was here, but... The dialogue here is, it is burdensome. Like it is, it just, I don't know how you guys felt about the dialogue. I felt like I got the point, but they kept bearing and kept going further and deeper and deeper and deeper. And you just get the idea that Paul is just disgusted at the 20th century, but you also get the notion that he's kind of judgmental and, and feels like he's removed from it. Yeah. It seems that he's become distant and even when talking to Harvey, he doesn't really give Harvey an inch to really combat him on any of his views. And he's just set in his ways. Uh, he just has kind of given up. Yeah. I'm kind of curious what his past was. Cause you know, he's carrying some baggage there and they were, I mean, it's, it's a 45 minute episode. You really can't do much deep dive into why he's so cynical other than seeing the world around him. I mean, he obviously talks about Inchon later and, so he went through the the wars, but what was what was his role? What did he see? What did he do to make him this angry? Yeah, and we'll talk about that when we get to that dinner table discussion because I really begin to wonder what his his face to face and direct reality was like. And so, yeah, he's he's frustrated. He feels like you know because he has this knowledge and he knows what's right that he is fed up with the twentieth century and he's going to fix it. Uh, but I like that. Um, that uh, where was it? The other guy was it Howard? That's not his name. Um, Harvey. Harvey. That's it. He's like you know. He's like I'll do this. He's like I'm not enthusiastic about it, but I'll do it. You know. It's like okay. I I like that they kind of made him resign. Like he's like I can I can do this for you, but don't don't make me pretend that I'm excited about this because I might kill you and you also might crash time itself. Yeah. So it, it, he he's gonna do it. He's gonna. Pull the trigger, basically, and send him back in time. Uh, basically, from what you're you're gaining from this now is that he's going to go to different times and try to make some kind of impact. So the- yeah. So when they fire off the time pad, whatever it is, uh, and you see like the initial like thing going on, and we get the Sterling's intro. I it was of all the ones this this um, season, it's the one that made made the most sense because it did like the smoke thing and then it faded into him talking. So transitionally it made kind of sense. I was kind of hoping that you'd have Rod Sterling come and tap himself on the shoulder and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've come from the future. Don't release this episode. But I know that was not going to happen as a Sterling intro. <laughs> um, I, I, I keep tipping my hand and I'll, there, there's reasons for that, but I would have loved him been like, no, 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 no. I've come back from the future to warn you about not releasing this. He'd been like, well, the past is inviolate. This has to happen. And then Sterling would be like, God damn you, son of a bitch. You're right. And then walk away. That's what would have happened. Well, you like multiple syrups from multiple timelines. <laughs> like oh, there's three timelines. You like multiple syrups. He's like, no, no, no. You need to release this one. No, no, no. You need to not release this one. Like every other one kept contradicting themselves. Like I want one that's a picnic. I want one that's like, you know, like one that's like, like anti-smoking and like, you just find out like, because the timeline got shattered, like, you know, that would have been amazing. Um, or like multiplicity, but the each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have, I would appreciate that. 
Um, so we so get the, yeah, sorry, I have ahead, a question. Terry, please. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I have a question. So how many cigarettes do you think it took Rod to fill up that entire room with smoke? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, knowing him though, it was probably half a work Cause day. obviously he's there. Oh, uh, well, he, yeah. I mean, it's implied that he's there. Right. But it's like, if it was just him by himself, they're probably like, who ordered the smoke machine? It's like, no, it's just Rod over there. He's kind of like frustrated with the script and be like, Oh, you know? Yeah. That dude, unfortunately smoked like a freight train. Uh, and I mean, that led to his, 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 you know, earlier death, but yeah, he smoked so much. That's a sad thing to say, but yeah, that, that's what happened. So, so we get Paul, um, he, he travels. So we get him traveling through time. Right. And it's never quite clear how the mechanism works, right? Like he, he ends up the first time we get him, he ends up, uh, where was the first one? The first one is, um, it, he goes back Hiroshima. to Hiroshima. Yeah. Like he, he goes back was it seven hours before the bomb drops and he's held up by the guards for six, I think. And he talks to mm-hmm. the, the, the one like head secret police or whatever, not secret police, but you know, the one guy and he was like, I've been here for six hours. I was warning all of you. Um, he gets, he, it's, you get like this righteous indignation from him when he's talking to the, to the Japanese, like, uh, uh, police officer or, you know, uh, officer, um, whatever his role is, I apologize, um, where he's like, I'm the voice of history. And the guy's like, why should I listen to you? And he's like, well, you know, because I know. And I like that when he was like, oh, I heard you speak English very well. He's like, I do. And he's like, do you speak Japanese? He's like, no, not really. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Like, you can't, you can't bother to learn a language and go back and be like, no, I'm glad I found the one English speaking person over here so I could warn them. That felt weird to me. <laughs> And just the way that he was acting, like it was such an injustice that he was being put into a cell. It's like you're an American in Japan during wartime. What do you think yeah. they're going to do? <laughs> you're lucky you're not be having your toenails ripped out at this moment, right? Just yeah, be grateful. <laughs> um, and so I just my first question is with all this is like how even if he goes back seven hours before the bomb is dropped in Hiroshima, how is that enough time to evacuate a city? Like that is not enough time, you know, like just, I, I like his targets, it's not <laughs> yeah. his targets. Yeah, Cause then he yeah. say, go ahead. Didn't he say there was like 60 to 70,000 people that were going to be affected by this or whatever. I mean, I, I think the Hiroshima numbers are much bigger than that, but he said that at least you could save a few thousand. I'm like, well, yeah, if you're, if you're trying to be like this, Oh, I'm, I'm the savior of history. I'm going to save an additional thousand people. That's like, don't get me wrong thousand less people dying due to Hiroshima is a good thing. But when you have the power of like pinpointing where you go back in time, like if you don't give yourself at least a week, what are you doing? It feels weird to me. Yeah. At least he could have come up with a better backstory. Like, Hey, you know, I was part of this planning over in the U S and I'm coming to save your guys' lives. You know, there could have been a better backstory than just being like, I'm from the future. (laughs) So, so Trevor, yeah. uh, answer this question for me. I, I, I could be completely wrong, which I usually am. Didn't the U.S. warn Hiroshima and Nagasaki with flyers, but those arrived late? Like, yes. like, like, yeah, they did. Okay. And the thing about Hiroshima and the Nagasaki bombings, if those never occurred, the war would still rage on. And that's the thing that this kind of, it kind of give me a head tilt. I'm like, why would you? I understand, like, now in Hiroshima. 
it was estimated between 90,000 and like 140,000 people were killed. It's a lot of people, but if the war keeps continuing, more American die, more Americans die, more Japanese civilians, soldiers die. So it did bring the war to an end, but stopping it right there is probably not the best bet to do it, to stop a war with Japan. You probably have to go way back to want to stop before they go and invade China. So of all of them, why would you stop it there? Why not even Pearl Harbor? Warn the American fleet. Pearl Harbor. Something. I don't it was it was strange. It's like, why would you go back to, to Hiroshima? Why? It doesn't make sense to me. It would be like going back like, you know, 15 minutes for Nagasaki and be like, you saw what happened with Hiroshima. Good luck, suckers. I'm out. I'm the voice of history. Peace. And like, yeah. start back in the future. I just, I, I understand. Like, I just know that like when, so the flyers that like, it was airdropped flyers, right? In Japanese saying mm-hmm. that you need to evacuate. And they were supposed to show up. Like, I forget the time frame, but I know they were delayed. So did they show up like yeah. after? Is that if I remember right? Was that after the, the yeah. bombing? Okay. Yeah, they they, they showed up after. Oh. And it, by that time, it was too late. Um, it was just a, it, it was a food bar. It happens. Military intelligence and such, and especially during World War, the war. I mean, they had to have make sure that their flight plan was clear, that they were going to receive flak, and they, they had the pamphlets. There was a lot more going into bombings, and obviously with this one, it was a single, single B twenty nine, and. It did this, and then the next one. Yeah, and no. didn't, he was very vague about. It. I'm like, just tell him. What do you have to lose? If you give him like proper intelligence, maybe they might believe you. Maybe, not just say one bomb is going to destroy your pil- your whole city. Kind of like they will call your bluff on that. Now, if you actually tell them, but if you look at the American side, it's like, well, is he a traitor now for telling class? You know top secret information to Japanese to the Imperial Japanese empire. It's, it was kind of weird. Yeah. And, and, and Rod, he does this morality thing of like, um, where it's like, Oh, I want, I'm going to, I'm going to take you to my, my, you know, superiors where it's like, I want you to understand that like your enemy is capable of showing compassion and mercy. And he was like, Oh, I want you to understand the same thing too. It's like, I, I like, you know, Rod Serling was in wartime. Like he, you know, he was in the Philippines and he saw, he saw some shit. Like I can't even begin yeah. to comprehend the things he that the, he saw. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the battle of Letty and the occupation of Japan and the battle of Letty was, was a really, it was one of the, the Japanese resistance battles where you had snipers, flamethrowers. I mean, I, I read that one of his buddies was killed when a crate landed on top of him. Jesus. And yeah. then the, uh, occupation of japan was another one so he saw all this and you could see that he's kind of injecting himself in this character but it seems like it's really just he's just taking it and just beating you over the head with it instead of being a little more subtle about it yeah when when rod gets on his soapbox it's for good and for bad like um like i i made the joke about hitler showing up earlier in the season uh there's the episode called he's alive which was the third episode of the season if i remember right um, where it deals with like a neo-Nazi in America being influenced by Hitler spoiler. Um, and it's a really good episode and he, everything about it is like, it's, it's a very important to see, but there's times with this where it's like you get, he, he understands like there's the episode from the previous season called a quality of mercy where, uh, Dean Stockwell <laughs> quantum leaps into, 
<laughs> into a Japanese soldier and he ends up like seeing like the other side too and how the Americans treat him and it's like uh, so he he is sympathetic and I'm not saying that's a bad thing it's good like he doesn't like the only thing that bugs me about this section other than like the timing of it and that's just a story thing is that you immediately hear like the eastern strings pop up when we cut to this scene it's like I get it we're supposed to be in Japan we don't need it hit we don't need to be hit on the head with it but he at least he doesn't paint the Japanese officer as like stereotypical, I, like which no, I appreciate no. that. Yeah, and he's not a caricature, you know, big glasses, big teeth that you'd normally hear about. Like yes. the, it, for somebody who fought them, so he obviously has respect for them, and he's he was in Japan, so he obviously re- sees what being in their home country is like, and the Japanese. For the most part, I mean, you, you have different accounts. Um, I finished reading a book about a pilot that was shot down. Uh, his name was Pappy Boynton. And the Japanese, there was two different states. Like one one part of them, Japanese, treated with a lot of respect because they actually appreciate heroism and because they live in the Bushido. So if you're heroic, if you're brave, if you're tough, they, they do respect that. Now, on the flip side of that, as far as if you were a prisoner of war, they saw that as weakness, and they dis- were disgusted with the fact that someone would actually surrender. So that's why you hear a lot of these reports about the Japanese treating the American POWs and the Australian POWs so badly. So they, they saw them as lower people. They'd rather you die in battle than live as this this prisoner. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's interesting, um, and that's why you saw a lot of Japanese soldiers never want to be taken alive because they felt, felt they would dishonor their people. And in this particular segment, I didn't feel as though the Japanese officer or police officer, whatever he was, treated him with less than at least a common courtesy, common respect. Yeah. I mean, so as brief as this this segment was and is like tone deaf and since I feel it was tone deaf in the sense of like you have this character that's coming back seven hours before it happens. That's the part. And how he like you you get this notion of there's people that want to do good, but they want to do good only so much as it makes them look good. And I get this vibe from Paul the entire time. He's like, well, I tried. They just didn't want my help washing my hands. Like, I feel like there's, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's like this half measure every single time. Um, Terry, I don't know how you got that vibe from him. I, I was not a big fan of Paul as a character. No, especially it seemed like he was just pissed off and when he should have been a lot more sympathetic. And I mean, I get that he he being put into a cell for six hours while he could have been explaining the entire situation to them would have helped. And he was upset about it and he couldn't do it. But at the same point, it's all problematic. I mean, like I said, he's there. They don't know who the hell this guy is. And when you start explaining stuff like that to people, they're going to be like, yeah, this dude's nuts. We're going to put him in a cell until we can figure it out a little bit better. So, I mean, I I think that if he was to have planned this out better, he would have brought more information, more knowledge of what the events had happened to give to them and be like, no, seriously, this is their plan. This is what they got in that plane. So when he looked out that window he knew that that plane was actually going to be doom coming to them. They would have known better about what the Americans plot was. Yeah. I feel like if, especially if you have a time machine, right. And you can come back to wherever you want. That means then you have as much time as you need to prepare yourself to go back to that time. 
You know, like, I feel like there's, there's no window of you going to a library and reading up. Like, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I feel like this guy is like, I read some papers. I know all the facts. I'm good. You know, like, like I'm an American. They'll believe me, you know, like what manifest destiny. They'll believe anything, whatever. Anyway. So he, he gets pulled away at irons or whatever. And then like, we have the Japanese officer look at his family and a photo. And then it's like, all of a sudden, then the bomb drops and then that's bad. But then. Paul immediately time travels again, which we don't, we don't ever get any type of satisfactory explanation of how he's doing this. And that's not that I, not that I need like, because this is 1963, I don't need like intricate, like science because anything that happens, then I'd be like, I don't know about that. But like, what is this? Like, is he still on the time platform and just projecting himself to different times or what? I don't know, but he ends up in another time and like I like that when he time travels, you hear that bong noise again, and immediately he's in Nazi times. Like you don't know the exact date, but it's Nazi as hell, and you know that yeah. we have him at like you know like um, the 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 Nazi uh, La Quinta Suites or whatever it is, like across the street from uh, <laughs> uh, from from a Hitler rally, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. From it's what weird. I could figure out, I think this is August twenty third, nineteen thirty nine. Uh, that's the information I found, at least. Good on you. I didn't do that much of a deep dive. I just realized that Hitler was around and popular, so I knew, you know, questionable at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this segment kind of again kind of was like, why is he going to here now? Why wouldn't he go before this? Like when he had the the beer hall pushed, where they're running around the streets. That'd be a perfect time. You could shoot him, and you're done. But then again, you're talking about shooting a guy who's already influenced this massive group of people who haven't taken power yet. But so, do you want to go back to World War One when Hitler was a soldier, but yet he was a war hero because he saved an officer going through mustard gas? So, would you assassinate him there? Because if you did, you'd be assassinating not only a war hero but an innocent man of that time. Like these are the kind of things that's like. So, when would you actually want to do this, and would it actually be effective? Yeah, and what was the name of the? Um, oh shoot, I, I won't forget this. What was the name of the the government like the the the, the time before this weird like um, like uh, nationalism showed up in Germany? Like they were actually really progressive before because Hitler wasn't he wasn't the only one. There was like a like a, a foundation that came in before him, um, and it's like I feel like he wasn't the only one. He was just the one that got through. So how do you, why would you choose him when you could have knocked the dominoes loose earlier? You know, I feel like that's like history is just a series of strings that you pull, right? Like where, do, where does it end? That that's yeah, like, exactly. You know, Everything is, is connected by this weird thing. It's like, you can't change history though. That's kind of like this overall theme is like, you can't change the past no matter what you want to do, because effectively if you kill Hitler, well, Goring was still there and his other lackeys were there. So would you have to kill them off? to stop this idea, to stop the spread of this idea of Nazism and nationalist Germany. So now you're killing more people <laughs> effectively to stop this. Yeah, but we get this moment of him, which I, I hate to say this, the notion of a man on a mission like across the way from a predominant leader where he pulls a rifle to assassinate. This was March. Um, we're eight months away from Lee Harvey Oswald shooting Kennedy at this time when this aired, obviously no one knew this was going to happen, but it's like, you watch this now. You're like, Jesus Christ, this is what we're going to watch as we're watching this TV show. (laughs) 
Like it is. It I'm is, just curious how how do you get the rifle there? Like yes. he just shows up. Like, no, oh, here's, no. here's my luggage. That's that's a fair question. How did he get that reservation? How did he get the rifle? Like, how is it okay to have an American citizen that deep into Germany at that time? I know we were not part of World War II. I'm gonna guess that the Germans were pretty suspicious of us at the time. Go throw that out yeah. there. I don't know. Considering <laughs> that we were giving stuff to the British at that time, we were cheaply here, Brits, the Lend-Lease program. They were, we were giving stuff from ours and leasing it out to the British, essentially. Yeah. So, and yeah. he pulls out an American-made 1903 bolt-action rifle. Like, <laughs> how did you get that there? Yeah. Um, and I like how the room service maid's like, oh, I got to come in and change the towels. He's like, I'm about to shoot Hitler. She's like, towels. He's like, fine, fine. I guess we're going to change the towels. It's fine. And then like the, she speaks English, like really good English. I was not like, is that, I mean, again, I'm pulling this apart. I apologize, but that doesn't seem like that would be a thing at that time that, that deep into like the heart of Germany. Probably not. She would probably be like, Oh, Turn around and go find some like one of the the Gestapo or SS or brown shirts because he was an American in 1939. Probably would have grabbed somebody. Yeah. Or so. assume that he was British. Like this guy is obviously not speaking German. I've never seen. So let's go get somebody. Yeah, and he, I mean, you see that kind of later on. He couldn't well, bother to learn Japanese. Why would he learn like German? Like I feel like he exactly. needed a Rosetta Stone to get ready at the same time. <laughs> He should have just like scream like bratwurst, sauerkraut <laughs> at her or something. Farfig I'm, I'm, Nugent. I'm to it. Farfig Nugent. <laughs> Farfig Nugent. Because <laughs> Terry, what oh, would be your go-to? What would be your German phrase to yell that. out to convince people that you're German? What would you say to people? Uh, bratwurst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> beer. Beer. Here. <laughs> Daft Punk. They're not. They're not German. But anyway, yeah. Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. Rammstein. Yeah, Rammstein. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We just start spitting out. I would just start spitting out Rammstein lyrics. Be like, uh, links two, three, four. I don't know. <laughs> um. So, yeah. So he has a rifle. He's going to shoot Hitler. Um. So. I wrote here my uh, I wrote time travel pro tip a trademark. Don't get snippy with the help if you're trying to snipe a dictator. Like don't get pissy with the maid. Like you know don't make her suspicious, right? Like because she's like, oh, you're American. What are they talking about this over in America? And he's like, basically like you know you like like basically like we don't like him and your your time's over and sends her on her way and then it's like yeah I don't know if that's really the note you want to end this on. I know you're a time traveler, but. You don't want to complicate shit, but he did. So See, this I mean, whole... go ahead. She didn't oh, I'm leave, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, well, she didn't leave a chocolate on the pillow, so I can understand him getting pissed off. <laughs> Where's my Andy mint? Yeah. Well, we know according to Homer Simpson <laughs> that Germany is the land of chocolate and everything's edible. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, he goes to line up the shot, and his gun doesn't work. Which I actually thought it didn't. Well, what didn't work? It just didn't fire properly. I, I guess it wasn't loaded or something. I don't know. Um, it, it, Trevor, I'm sure you could speak to why the gun didn't fire uh, properly. Well, it's a bolt action rifle, so it literally is just open the bolt, pull it back, insert your round, close the bolt. Is it, it was idiot proof? I mean, hell, they gave them to the Marines, so you could tell that they're <laughs> idiot proof. I'm a Marine. I could say that. I uh, I eat my fair share of crayons. 
And honestly, I couldn't tell you why. Maybe he didn't have the bolt. Maybe it wasn't oiled. Maybe he. I, I looked at him like, geez, buddy. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna carry a rifle, at least know how to mount. If it has a malfunction, know how to change how to figure out the malfunction. But at that time, it was a 1903 rifle. It was not like, oh man, my powder's my powder's wet, <laughs> or what we have today. My musket didn't work. It is wood work. and yeah. metal. That's <laughs> all this thing. Um. I, I just it, I, I kind yeah, of viewed it I viewed it as like since the pass is inviolate as the, the as Harvey said that the gun would not work because it would stop it from happening. That's right. the way I viewed it, but it was still That's really heavy handed. Better logical explanation as to what I said. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm saying it physically didn't happen yeah. for a reason, but yeah. I feel like like um, let it happen. Which there's that Stephen King uh, book eleven twenty two sixty three, which ties into the assassination of um of kennedy where the 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 main character is trying to stop that assassination and the whole notion that time pushes against somebody Mm -hmm. like they're back in time and every time they try to take steps something happens i was getting a vibe of that briefly with this segment and i thought that was cool but like i just i don't know like paul was pissing off everybody and then uh he was i don't know i can't remember he he used the rifle there yeah i I was like so you leave an american-made rifle in a German building across the street from a German dictator. Do you think that maybe the German military were like, hey, why is an American rifle here? Yeah, and our La Quinta that we have across the street from Hitler and there. Our, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, four out of five stars. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, he disappears and, like, did he go in the bathroom or something, close the door, and time travels away? I yeah. can't remember, right? Um, yeah, but, something like that. Yeah, the he Germans come walk in. in the room. But again, like, you don't see, like, there's no flash of light or anything to show that he is. He's just like, oh, exit stage left. Like yeah. He walks off, you know, walks out the door. Yeah, so that's what happens there. Go, please, go ahead, Terry. The Go thing ahead. that I found problematic about this portion of the story was he the, the maid knows that he's an American now, so he's still going to try to take the shot. What's going to end up happening when they know that an American assassinated the Fuhrer? So it's going to just make him a martyr... <laughs> And I think it's, it's going to push paint. the Americans of the World War II a lot faster, you know, than what happened. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly what's going to They're going to come instead, down harder. Instead of 1941. Yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah. of 1941, we go in in 1939 and Hitler, uh, the Nazis declare war on the American states. Then the Americans have to go into the war and kick the crap out of everybody as opposed to 1941. You're welcome, Europe. But if it happened more, uh, I mean, as, as a surprise about that. I don't don't take me seriously about that one. Well, no. What I'm, but if it happened two years sooner, historically speaking, we might have been put back on our heels, and it could yeah, have been bad, probably. right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, we would have sent more pilots over probably during they they didn't really have the capabilities of reaching out and touching us at that point, but they would have declared war on us. The shipping lanes would have been closed, so we would not have been able to ship supplies as easily to uh, Britain. At that time, we were having trouble with the Japanese. So, with that, the Japanese had signed a peace, had signed uh, allegiance a little bit later than that to the Germans. So, I think that Pearl Harbor, those sort of attacks would have happened, not Pearl Harbor exactly, but those attacks in Manchuria and along the United States, the, the territories that we had in the Pacific, that would have happened a lot sooner. So, it would have put us back on our heels more. Um, history man i mean a lot more stuff would have happened (laughs) 
Yeah. So again, Paul, uh, Paul's not helping here. Let's just, let's be honest. No, and then, not and then he becomes even more <laughs> useless with his <laughs> next keyboard hit. warrior. Let's, yeah. I, I was calling that one. Yeah. <laughs> so then his next one that he, he shows up at is, uh, he actually talks to spoiler, uh, the captain of Lusitania that he convinced, he tries to convince him to change course. He's like there minutes before minutes before Lusitania is sunk. He's like, I just want you to change your course by one degree. And the guy's like, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. And it's like, it just, I don't know the whole thing of like, you could have, maybe if you would like, like I, I just, here's, here's an admission. I recently, and, and, and Trevor and I have a bond now because I forced this upon, no, I, I actually, I made you, I, I made you listen to another, another Eric Larson book. Um, yeah. I, um, listened to dread wake or dead wake by Eric Larson, which is about the sinking of Lusitania. Amazing mm-hmm. book. So it was just funny yeah. to me watching the sequence. And I'm like, none of that makes sense. Um, but I know, like, I know you're a history fan, Trevor. That's why I got you the devil in the white city, not dead wake. Uh, I I love that one, but it was really cool. Yeah. But dead wake is amazing as well. And just, yes, the list could have taken one degree off, but that wasn't the only thing causing all of that to happen, which I know Serling didn't know. And by extension, Paul didn't know, but it's like, you can't show up minutes before and ask a ship to change course by one degree. Like, I feel like if you knew that Germans were going to, like, if there's a German submarine out there, you show up a week before and tell them, this is what we know, and you talk to your intelligence. And, right. Yeah. Or maybe go back further than that, because the reason why the Americans were shipping things over there, because World War One had already started, so wouldn't you want to stop World War One from happening so that the Lusitania doesn't happen, and so that millions of lives aren't lost in battle throughout World War One, But to stop that, you'd have to go back to when Franz Ferdinand was assassinated by Gavrilo Princip in Sarajevo. Now, to stop that, you have to go back to the Crimean War, where the, Australian, <laughs> the Australo-Hungary Empire was stopped by the British. And there's like so much more that's like, you just can't... St- like, are you only worried about American lives at this point? Because there's a whole conspiracy about the Lusitania carrying munitions, because... The Germans were told not to fire on on um, American liners, but if they were carrying munitions and warp materials, then they were basically fair game at that point. It was just like, why now? Why would you want? Wouldn't you want to save more lives? Or are you just focused on American lives? Yeah, I just like I, I get that we. I guess we could like pull this apart over and over again, but it's like it's it's just weird to me that again, like why would he do? Why would you choose like minutes before? That feels like that. That feels weird to me. Yeah. Um. And well, who was the um? Who was the Kaiser at the time? Was it um Otto? Uh, um. It was uh, It was a uh, Kaiser Wilhelm. Kaiser Wilhelm. Otto von, yeah. Otto von Bismarck was um. He was the general at that point, but then it was later taken over by. Uh, then the whole government and the military was taken over by um, uh, Lindenberg, and um. Ludendorff. But just go up to Wilhelm, give him a hug, and it's like, you know, squeeze his gimp arm and yeah. be like, hey, hey, I'm sorry that you have a gimp arm, and like, we should just be friends. Like, I feel like you could have done that, and like, that was where you needed to be, you know? Um, or maybe yeah. just like, hey, Franz Ferdinand, don't go into don't go into Serbia where the black hand is going to assassinate you. Yeah, you're going to start <laughs> or stop Gabriela Princip on the corner with the pistol because the explosives didn't go off. And the driver was an idiot and decided to drive around in circles and then was shot. And then the 
the Archduke and his wife were shot. It's like you're going to start World War One, and you're going to be the name of a band that had one song. That's what's going to happen. Exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I come from the 2000s. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're memorializing a really crappy band. Terry, are you a fan of Franz Ferdinand or no? Uh, I am not. <laughs> the person or the band? I guess I gotta, I'm gotta, gotta qualify. With, <laughs> I'm gonna say that with authority. So that that not only was the event tragic, but the fa- the fact that this band exists. Oh uh, no. yeah, that's fine. I mean, you can just tell them like your legacy is no more than a one hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> your song appeared in rock band. That's all. Uh, so. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so this, I, I feel bad because I know we've been talking about this forever, but that was like the first 26 minutes of this episode, right? So this thing oddly like shifts, shifts tone and it becomes like another Twilight Zone episode, right? So like it goes, he comes back to the present. He tells Harvey like, oh, I'm three for three on screwing up and missing on history. And then Harvey's like, oh, well, that's not good. It's inviolate. I told you. And then, and then he's like, no, 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 no. I got this book that shows me perfect white American utopia, <laughs> like Homerville, <laughs> Indiana, um, you know, like back when America was great or whatever he said, I, he didn't say that. That's, that's my words. Um, but he now realizes that he can't save the 20th, 20th century. He just wants to go back and live his life in a peaceful situation. And yeah, that's where we go. He ends up showing up in Indiana, uh, back in was 1891. If I remember right, was that the date? 1881. 1881. Oh, I'm sorry. I was 10 years off. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is not the first time that Serling has written about going back home again. This is not the first time he has envisioned the idea of going back to the past when things were better and more idealized. Not because he felt felt that way. He just knew that people would idolize this. Um, there's an episode from the first season called A Stop in Willoughby that's very much like this. And the moment he shows him Homerville... Is it Homeville or Homerville? Like Homerville feels appropriate. That's not right. It's Homeville. Um, it's home. Yeah. Yeah. Homerville just feels like, yeah, we're, that's the Homerville. Um, but I, I saw a number of velocipedes and I got pissed off. I don't like velocipedes piss me off. That's the big, that's the bicycle with the big wheel in the front and the tiny wheel in the back. <laughs> um, I like saying velocipede, but I'm like, God damn it. We're back in the past. There's so many velocipedes happening now. Um, but yeah, he goes back in the past to live there. But he has this book that's history, and he just wants to be willfully ignorant, but he still can't not screw things up. I feel like Paul is just it, problematic. It's like this uh, that's, uh, you know, Back to the Future 2, where he has the almanac, and he, he knows that he could change things, and he doesn't, He he's already agreed to Harvey, nothing's going to change, we're not going to change how events are going to play out in the rest of time and that I'm not going to do anything, but he still takes it with him. It's like, <laughs> it's that little bit. Yeah, get rid of it. Yeah. That little bit that he still wants to be like, you know what? Just in case I want to have an idea of what's going to happen. Well, did you also, I don't know how you guys feel about what Harvey was like, the passes and violate. And then he's like, he tells Paul, he's like, you're going back there. Don't change anything. Well, if you really believe that p- the past is fixed in place, that he's not going to be able to affect the outcome anyway. I feel like he kind of flip flops where he's like, well, you could cause a cascading thing and, you know, and like whatever, like, so he's like, be careful, you know? So yeah. So he goes back to Homeville in 1881 and then, um, you know, and, and 
he ends up like seeing the date on the calendar and then he has this moment because he goes into a bar and buys a beer for a nickel or whatever. And he's like, a nickel? It's like, you son of a bitch. You know you're going back in time. Things are cheaper. You know that. You know that. For being as smug as you are, you have to know things are cheaper. Like you could buy a house for like 12 cents or whatever it is. You know, you could do that <laughs> like a dollar and a horse and you own a house. You know, I'm pretty sure that's how much it costs back then. Um, but then he sees the date and he's like, oh, President Garfield. Oh, and he's mumbling to himself. And then like the bartender's like, what are you talking about? And then like you know, he walks out because he looks at the newspaper and he sees the date. And I, I like the bartenders talking to the bar patron. He's like, oh, what was he talking about, about Garfield? He's like, well, maybe he's a Democrat. And they have a laugh. But there's uh, little, sorry, uh, you guys were going to say something? I was going to say that there, there is no internal monologue at this point. He just looks like the crazy new guy who's talking to himself <laughs> right in front of the bar. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're from out of state? He's like, yeah. He's like, you passed him through? No, I'm going to live here. Oh, Garfield? Oh, I heard he's going to get shot, and he hates Mondays. What are you talking about? You know, like, um, so he wanders out. (laughs) So he wanders out, and there's literally a bit where he almost looks looks directly at the camera. He's like, Garfield was assassinated on this date. It's like, thanks, thanks, TV show. This is this a film strip now? Like, are we learning things? Like, it just felt weird. You're right, Terry. He had no internal monologue from this point. So I guess the internal monologue was invented in 1912. No one told us. <laughs> yeah, it's still uh, days to come that he, he will finally know what the internal monologue is. Everyone's like, I feel this way. I better tell everybody around me in a brief aside. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> For a guy that will wait until no for a guy that knows history so well as he thinks he does, he doesn't know that he arrives in a town one day before the attempted assassination of Garfield. Yeah. Like it's not the same town, but he, he oddly picks that date of all dates to arrive. Why not six weeks earlier? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like if based upon the pattern of this episode, he should have showed up three minutes before Garfield was almost shot and be like, I got to tell you, you're almost shot. Like, you know, and be like, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I have to go to Indiana and have an awkward romance with a teacher, you know, and then be like, I'm out and just go over to Homeville. You know, that's it. You know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. But he, the whole thing is that he realizes that, again, he's called to history and called to fate. And he's like, I have to let it happen. I have to let Garfield be shot. And so he goes to a boarding house, and then he, we get all the strict rules about, like, you know, what was it? Um, Like, if you're meeting females, it's in the lobby and, you know, no sinful thoughts and be at supper or whatever, you know. It's fine. It's just, it's a boarding house. But then we find that's whenever the lady running the place is like, you need to meet Miss Abigail. She's real strict or whatever she says. She's real religious. I forget real moral. Moral. Yeah. Really moral is what she says. And then we get this. Like uh, yeah, right. Sorry. Go ahead, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. It was just like he, was, he wanted her to meet him. But it's like, I, I you know she seemed excited to. Uh, have them both meet but as soon as like miss sloan work uh, walks away it's like hey uh keep your hands in your pockets because it's not happening because she's real moral (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's not one of those non not school teachers that's running around town um you know so uh they have like a brief like meet cute i guess whatever right and then uh then this is when we get the dinner sequence um 
this this table talk took four minutes and it pissed me off the entire time um just because it's like i get it you're bringing a hammer a sledgehammer to kill a fly but we have um this whole thing where where paul's sitting at the table with her and then we got these other two guys sitting across the table and the one gentleman is like going on and uh, mr mr hanford he is like talking about how we do to expand and plant the American flag and plant it deep and plant it, you know, I just, he wants to have sex with the American flag so bad. Like, I just feel like, um, you know, like, cause he keeps the way, like credit to the actor, the way he keeps saying the American flag, he keeps like the way he says it with yeah. such like, you know, like reverence, which, you know, I get it. I, I do respect the flag, but there's something wrong with him. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's the kind of guy that would say, I was going to join the military, but, or say, I'm patriotic. It's like, what do you do for this country? I'm a banker. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, that, wait, that's nice. Finances have to keep happening, you know? Um, so then, so then he's talking about like, you know, like how we should just like the Western expansion and all this stuff, not Western expansion, but like just expand the American, I, he doesn't say the word empire, but that's the vibe I get from him. And then at that point, Paul gets indignant and he talks about like, you know, have you seen these things or you're going to keep throwing American bodies and paying for this in American blood. And you, in Trevor, you mentioned this earlier, like he, he mentions all like the death and the cost. You never, he never clarifies if he was in person. So I feel like he is just as much as Mr. Hanford speaking from a position, but with, without reality, like without reality of like actually seeing things. That's what I get yeah. the, the vibe from him. It, 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 and this is definitely Rod, uh, Rod Sterling coming through on this character. And I, I really do. I mean, I did eight years in the Marines with tours of Iraq. It's like, yeah. I, I do I do relate to what he's saying. I mean, it's it's what FDR said. It's like FDR said, "War is old men talking and young men dying." Just to what uh, Paul is saying. Um, but I, it just it seemed like an, another kind of like a rah rah speech, just coming from the other side. Not so much the extreme. We're gonna, you know, America should take over everything. But it's more. Uh, it's. It was weird. I mean, I appreciate what he's saying, but at the same time, I'm like, man, what did you do? Like, who are you? Like, I don't know who you are. So, where is this all coming from? Um, maybe he lost. If he maybe he lost a brother. Like, even if they threw like a, a throwaway line, like I lost family, I lost my brother, or so, something, to give him some sort of relation to what he's saying and the reason why he's doing what he's doing. He wouldn't even even served if he just. If it was some sort of family relation, like something so simple as that could have really given it at least a little bit of depth and kind of like, oh, OK, I kind of I, I understand what he's saying. Um, it was it was weird for me to hear this. Yeah, it just feels like he's one of those guys that like gets really passionate about a um, a cause. But just mm -hmm. be because you think of it like, you know, abstract as opposed to like like in your face, um, mm -hmm. and you know, like. I, I, again, I don't disagree with anything he's, the, anything he's saying. I, I have never served in the military, so I can agree with that too. But but I don't have, I don't have like you know the same license or the same history to be like, like do you know like you know whatever. And it just that frustrated me. Um, but he was dressing down this guy, which was good because he was shit talking and he needed to like call him out. But I just feel like they yeah. were almost all like 
almost the same person in that instance. And that bugged me. Um, but you're right. I feel like he mentions to um, the lady running the place that he's a physicist. And she's like, you need to explain that to me sometimes. It's like, great. You do science. Did you do science on the front lines? I don't think you did. You know, I don't think you're out there mathing it up. Why you see people you know, like face down in the mud? Yeah. Like, I don't or, see that. Like, or, oh. or even if it's like they even ask, like, did you serve in the military? You could have even said like that was a long time ago, or something. Just just <laughs> something to attach him to his objective as to why are you doing this? Even, I and be that like, was the weird thing for me. I worked like, on the bomb it, in Hiroshima that one time, but I tried warning people <laughs> about that, and it didn't go so well. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, like some kind of connection because Abigail has a much deeper connection for why she is the way she is. Like they gave her something, you know, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, whatever. Anyway, it just, the only thing I liked about that whole conversation was that one guy to the left that was like almost clapping sometimes. Like he was super excited for like yeah. what the guy was saying. And then at the end when Paul kind of walked off and he was like, he's a violent man. It's like, sure, whatever. But Paul, as much as he wants to leave leave al- enough alone, he also needs to let people know how smart he is the entire time. And I'm like, that's not a good mix. You know, like, I just, I don't like this character. I really don't. And I know I've said that previously during this recording. i still not a fan of Paul. So- I wasn't a fan in how he was delivering all of his uh, information, where he was trying to go with it. Like, for a moment there during the dinner um, you seem that you see that he's trying to be a little bit more reserved and held back, but the dude obviously pushed him to a point where he just couldn't listen anymore. And you, he, I think he also could see that Miss Sloan was uh, uncomfortable, and she didn't really have a, a leg to stand on either about the conversation. You know? Yeah, it just, I, I get the point of the scene. I just felt like it just it for, and this has been my problem with season four. And I know Terry and I have talked about this repeatedly. There's just times where it's like, okay, I get it. Can we move on? This is one of those move on moments. Like I get it. Like you need to establish him in the past. You need to see Abigail, seeing him thinking differently. It just watching this second time, this thing was just, it just, I was gritting my teeth going through the scene and it was frustrating. Cause it's like, we're not going to learn anything. We already don't know from him. It's just that we're going to, once the fallout happens, we're going to learn more about her. And I feel like that could have probably been done differently. I know we're writing the script, like rewriting it 60 years after, but I also know that Serling is, um, he's a, he's a better writer than this. And I don't, this script isn't necessarily his fault. We'll talk about that in a minute, but it was just frustrating. So then, um, we get to, um, she, uh, you know, they go outside and they go for a walk and, you know, she's now like infatuated with Paul because he's anti-war and we find out she lost brothers and she lost her brothers and her father. I, I, I believe that's the civil war. That would make sense to me. Cause this is 1881. Like that feels right to me. Um, they didn't specify, but I don't know what other engagements we had after this and at that time. Um, and then she says to him, you look like a man in love with a moment and a place. And I just, I'm like, Serling, you didn't need to say that. That hurt. I didn't like that line. Not hurt as in like emotionally, just like, you're better than this. Like, I didn't like that line at all. It's like, we get it. Paul's back here in Indiana in 1881. We don't need her to acknowledge that he looks like he's in love with this town. Because I never bought that at all. I just felt, always felt like, I always felt like he was a visitor at best. That That's my vibe. Yeah, I I think that he force fed this one. 
Um, and even in knowing a little bit about Paul, I, it just seemed like he became in love with the image. Like it's like he saw a postcard one day when he was leaving a train station. He's like, that looks great. Yeah. I'm going to go there. I don't think he gives a crap about this place, honestly, <laughs> or the people in it. Yeah. Well, it's like, there's the episode, like, this is the theme, like, like watching the twilight zone and watching with Rod, even though he is not as committed legally, I mean, sorry, contractually, not legally, like they would arrest him. Um, like contractually, he was not as committed as com- like providing scripts for this season and the next one. The first couple, he was like under contract to provide a majority of the scripts. And so you see that he would come up with an idea and come up with like different shades of it. Um, <clears throat> there's an early season one episode called Walking Distance that's a, that's it's beautiful. And it deals a lot of this with like you can't ho- go home again where it's like, well, what if like I imagine my 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 childhood being much like where I grew up being much better than where I am now. And, he, and the guy goes home and realizes that, no, it's not quite like that. This feels like a variation of this where in Paul's head, this 1881 Indiana is like perfection because they will never know the bomb. They will never know um, Hitler. They'll never know a man screwing up like the Lusitania sinking because of warning the guy seven minutes before whatever. Um, Like they'll never know these hardships, but it's like the majority of this population like survived the civil war. Granted, maybe they weren't on the front lines, but they, they had many family members, you know, going there and decimation, like, the body count in the civil war was ridiculous. And a lot of it was because yeah. of like disease and like, it just, you, you don't know how much of these people's lives are damaged because of that. And you're coming back being like, this is perfection. No, all these people are broken. And I feel like, he yeah, always, and this is right after, yeah, right after the, uh, the, the American expansion West. I mean, hell, a uh, little big horn happened in 1876. So you still had these people dealing with the loss of their family members, even after the civil war. Now you're dealing with the, with the Western expansion and, and those deaths. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to put it on Sterling to be like, you need to figure out your place in time. I just feel like if you have a character that's going back then that thinks he knows everything, then I feel like there should be an amount of like care provided, but I never get that from him. But because the cute girl looks at him and is all like, Oh yeah, you're all about anti-war. I'm into that, you know, peace, love and rock and roll. She doesn't say rock and roll. Um, but like, you know, he says to her, this is one of those lines that like, it doesn't age well where he was like, I don't want to be just passing by. I want to come in. I wish to come in. And I wrote wink after that. I wrote, (laughs) (laughs) followed by, Hey, you want to chill? It's like, yeah. You up, you want to, you want to, you want to hang out and read the church bulletin and uh, just, you know, ignore the Lord for a minute. I don't know. Uh, but like, uh, so then like, but he realizes that he can't be with her because like, you know, he would, you know, he knows he's out of time and like, it would just be wrong and he is smarter and better than everybody around him. Whatever. But her, her, um, falling in love with him was really fast. But I also wonder back then where it's like, Oh, this is a younger person. They have good teeth and they're up they're, They're an upright gentleman. I guess I love them now. Um, you know, that, I don't know. I, it feels like and a he's thing. Old, old yeah. to, he's old enough to be my dad. <laughs> well, look, he has all his limbs intact. He clearly survived the war. Yeah. I, I think it was kind of like that new kid in school kind of thing. Uh, cause it's like a small town and she just knows everybody that's in town. She's been in that, that same boarding house for two years or so. So finally she sees somebody who, 
is new. Like there's something to discover about a new person in town. That's fair. So I think there's like a little bit of charm to that. Yeah, no, that's fair. And then, cause then we get to, after that, we, um, uh, we, what was it? As they're like talking, then we find out that Garfield's been shot, um, you know, by normal. We don't, that's not true. Uh, but, uh, uh, like we find out like that happened and he was like, Oh, I knew. And then she knows something's kind of wrong or something's up with him because he didn't seem surprised by the shooting of Garfield. Um, and which I, I thought it was funny that like the, the attempted assassination of Garfield, which we know he would die later became a much bigger thing later on this episode where it's kind of like lingered on <laughs> throughout the rest of it. I thought that was kind of odd, but, um, so then what was it like the next day? She's like, Oh look, he survived. And, and he was just, you know, you get the vibe from Paul. He's like, yeah, not for long, you know, whatever. Um, but then like, she's talking about being a school teacher on the like, July 3rd and she had a really funny line. I didn't write it out verbatim about like trying to get 20 plus kids to sing a song the same way. I thought that was a funny line about like, they're all going to like interpret it their own way at their own like pitch and volume. I thought that was funny, but <laughs> I thought that was great. It's like basically like, I don't know. I'm hoping they say the words, right? We're good. You know? Uh, and that's when we get to uh, the hornblower that looks like Donald Pleasance in the courtyard talking to uh, uh, talking to Paul. And he was like, I know you've been noticing her. And he's like, oh, you've been noticing me? He's like, I noticed you noticing me noticing that you noticed her. I hated that whole line, that whole sequence of them talking back and forth. I thought that was annoying. That's just me. I know. I'll take your silence as an agreement. That's what- <laughs> <laughs> Great radio. Yeah, no, no. Um, but that's when we get that heavy-handed thing about, like, I also like it whenever um, the, the horn player was like, awful pretty girl to be a school marm. Like, well, I didn't realize that people of varying attractiveness can't teach other people. I thought that was kind of odd. Well, it was, yeah, it, 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 was, was the, it is 1881. I mean, I guess you're, you're lucky you get someone like her. Or uh, Mer- Meredith Steenburgen in uh, Back to the Future 3. Right. Like, um, what was her name? What was, uh, what was her name in that? Um, I can't remember her, the teacher's name in um, back to the future three. Um, cause she was pretty and got doc Brown's attention. But anyway, uh, so we now find out because he were talking that like, he's like the, the guy playing the horn was like, Oh, this, the school building is built in like eight, like 1821. It's probably to stay around forever. And Paul's like, what'd you say? And he's like, it's probably to stay around forever. It's definitely fireproof. He didn't say that. And he's like, oh, that jogged a memory. And he goes back to his uh, almanac and looks up that specifically that the school burns down. Or sorry, gutted by fire. Which, that's an odd detail to put in like a small history book of like the Midwest. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, it seems very convenient at that moment. <laughs> like, and, and it, it's like he, again, this is so tricky in the fact that like he ends up getting to that time period he thinks that there's got there. This is like the perfect moment for him to exist in like non chaotic, non like uh, war times and that. Like there's there's no possibility for anything to go wrong in this small town. But each one of those kinds of conversations trigger something in his mind. Like, oh yeah, I do remember reading that now. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Selective memory, of course. Yeah. He's like, oh, now I remember that kids are getting harmed because there's a hottie in there with all that's going on. Otherwise, <laughs> screw those kids. Um, like, 
I, I just, it's not because he goes back to his boarding house room and it's like, he's like, oh, well, it has to happen because that's what happened because the past is violate. But then he starts like, he, he starts thinking about the kids. He says that out loud. You know, he's thinking about Abigail. You know, he is like, I, that's my point. I was like, we know the truth. He's thinking about her. <laughs> like, he's like, I can't let those kids become, you know, burnt hot dogs. It would be terrible, you know, so. Um, but he's conflicted. And then this is when we get um, Professor Elliot to show up in the courtyard, like around, I guess, whatever you call it, Town Square. That's probably the right way to say it, Town Square. Like, um, like pitching his medicine. Um, and his medicine cures a lot of things. Uh, I didn't write them all down, but like one of them was like, what was it? Was it white lumps? Was that one of them? I think okay. I think you mentioned cancer. Or yeah, something. cancer. Cancer. They said gout. He gout. said it will cure gout too. I'm like, yeah, it was like, oh, really? cure uh, the shakes, the quakes, uh, white lumps. Uh, you know, <laughs> like it was uh, midnight terrors. I don't know, wet in the bed, whatever. His his cure all elixir was supposed to do everything, which. Like again, when I saw him, I'm like, "Oh, this is Doctor Fate," you know, from uh, Didn't on Doomsday, and he's like pitching all his stuff, like his medical cures, and he he lights out oil lamp because that's the whole thing is that when Paul reads the book, he realizes that an oil lamp is supposed to cause this fire from a like uh, a runaway like uh, with horses and some stuff or whatever. So he lights the lamp, and then um, so then Paul goes up to try to talk to Professor Philip. He's like, "Unhook your horses," and they get into a fight, and it's like I, I wish Paul at that point would be like, you know. This guy's struggling against me. Maybe I should just like calm down. Maybe that will stop everything. No, he tries to unhook the horses and that causes the horses to spook and the whole wagon gets pulled. And then uh, as like Professor Ellis trying to control the horses, Paul runs across like like the area, like the, the main square and tries to stop the carriage and, and, and inadvertently causing uh, Professor Elliot to like pull to one side, which causes the lantern. And I made this joke earlier in the episode to fly horizontally in a beeline in a beeline for the school and hits the door and causes a fire to happen. Like that effect. I understand they had to do it, but it made me laugh. Like it made me laugh. How, how perfect that lantern flew off the back of that cart. It made me laugh even harder because I could see the strings so clearly too. <laughs> what, what was more clear that, or when we go back to the stock footage of the submarine launching a missile or torpedo at the Lusitania, there was definitely a wire under the water there. Yeah. When we saw the torpedo launch. I saw that one. Would <laughs> like, it be easier for him to take the lantern? Yeah. Take the lantern and break it. And then you're done. Right. No, don't worry about what the horses. Yeah, break the lantern. But we've learned that Paul doesn't do things simple. He needs it complicated so that way he can absolve himself of all responsibility. We, like, <laughs> um, yeah, so the fire starts. Kids are burned, whatever. We, we, we move on. And then, uh, you know, he tells uh, tells Abigail that he's like, oh, I didn't realize that I was the one responsible for this. And, and then he's like, I have to go back. I have to go back to the future. Because um, he basically he's like, I, I can't be here because... You know, it's like he just realizes that, like, this is not my place. He's like, and I know you're you're a sweet piece. I can't do like I can't be with you. And she's like, but I love you because you're not from this town. He's like, I understand. You know, like I am. I am hot. You know, and uh, I was trying to get a town to name themselves after me. And they said, no, he tells her that he doesn't say that. But um, yeah, so he just kind of leaves her hanging and he goes back to the present. And then uh, he climbs the time tank and talks to Harvey. And uh, he learns a lesson. 
his lesson is uh, he needs to be here in the present and he needs to stay hopeful, even though he despises everything about the 20th century. So he learned he can't change the past. He can't go back to the past. I guess he's stuck here. So that's your ending. Ta-da. That's your episode. Yeah, it was it, it was kind of abrupt at that point. But one of the things that I had to ask you guys, do you remember um, how, like, when they talked about this, the 12 kids dying in the fire, did they say kids or did it just say 12 people died? I thought it was 12 kids got uh, injured or hurt during the fire. I think they, I don't know if they mentioned, like, actual deaths. I just mentioned that kids, were, like, some kids were burned. Because it just seemed like, because of Miss Sloan, that was the only moment that Paul actually gave a crap. Like he was like, Oh no, she's the teacher there. She's going into the building. Like it didn't seem like anything else was triggered in his mind until he really thought about her. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like when he was like, Oh no, these kids are going to get burned. Oh, but also her, like I just, yeah, he, he was going to let, he was going to let time march by until he realized that, uh, you know, uh, she might be affected by it. That's what it felt like to me. And I just feel like he's the pale horse rider at this point. Like he just ends up somehow being part, like almost some of these scenarios, not each one of them, but some of those scenarios seem to have more of a connection with him. I mean, if he would have seen something from a different lens, it, it may have played out differently. I, I don't know if he ever thought about that as a time traveler either. Like the, the butterfly effect, him just being in a scenario has changed it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it was brought up, but then not acknowledged, you know, like I, it just, it, considering that the, the whole statement the entire time is that you can't change the past. And then literally four times he didn't, you know, like, I don't know. It just, it was, it was kind of muddled and kind of mixed. That's where I kind of land on it. Yeah, this seemed more like a soapbox uh, episode for Sterling. Uh, just some of the the dialogue that was involved. I think that it was just like a platform for him to say some of his views about situations, and that, which we've gotten prior episodes as well. And it's not really a bad thing, but I think that there could have been a better delivery for this episode. Yeah. So, uh, so Trevor, how do you how do you land on the ending of this? Uh, it was kind of breakneck. It was like all of a sudden they just slammed on the brakes with with uh, with him going back. Um, it was like he went back and just kind of washed his hands of it all. Um, and just like, well, you were right. But did everything that he did before affect the future? Or like, did his interaction in 1881 with a school teacher affect the future? Like, there was nothing. He didn't have to answer for any of the things that he did. Um, it. It is. It, I definitely did agree, Terry. It's it's certainly on a soapbox, um, and I think this could have done. They could have maybe hacked off one of the uh, vignettes that they did. Maybe do the one in World War Two, then one in World War One, and then really just kind of play with those and give give Paul more of a reason to do the things he's doing. And that's. It just seemed like it was. Uh, There's something missing in this whole episode. Um, it could have been, even if it was longer. You could. Add, Add more, like give him a little bit more uh, depth because he he seemed like a very just kind of a a preachy character who had no depth to him. Yeah. So okay. Here here's so 
the producer of season three, Robert Hirschman, who uh, Serling kept butting heads with this entire time, who Hirschman kept pushing Serling when he would present scripts, thinking he was like capable of doing more. So I don't, I, I'm not saying he was doing this from a point of antagonism. It's just, it's a difference of opinion. He kept pushing back on Serling's script, like wanting changes. So the Indiana stuff is pretty much the same as it was every time Serling presented the script. Um, but the beginning, the first 26 minutes where like Paul was going back in time, that was like changed significantly and reshot repeatedly. The original framing of the story was that Paul's character was supposed to be a soldier of that time that was kind of like put on furlough and like given 30 days like to do like whatever he wanted. And then he learned at the time that he could go back in time. He's like, I want to go back when things are peaceful after seeing the horrors of war, I want to go do this. And like, they sent him back and that's when it would kick off like the Indiana storyline. So there was more there in the sense of like his reasons for wanting to go back and not deal with the things that he saw, but that kind of got scrubbed away over, over and over and over again. And the yeah, script, I, think I heard it. I, I agree. I completely agree. The script changed multiple times. Like I, I, in my, my books that I have, my reference books, it went over the various changes. It's too many to get into, but this thing got battered back and forth, back and forth, back and forth before what we saw happened. And just knowing that the beginning got reshot, like again, like just shows you how disjointed this episode is to the point to where they abandoned the idea of explaining how I travel through time. Like there was supposed to be a time belt, which is different than a time helmet because you put it around your waist. Um, but they were supposed to show him using it going between the time periods and that got lost and it was just like these weird fade ins and like no one cared. So that just shows you how like weird it got just to get this across the finish line. And it really shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the Harley character could have been swapped out with Paul and kept the soldier and maybe Paul's son was killed and he gets his soldier who he used to as his vessel to pack go back in time or something like that. Just give us some connective tissue in here. Cause Harvey was just either a yes man, like told you so at the end. <laughs> and then Paul comes in at the end. And it's like, well, shucks, you were right the whole time. <laughs> I owe you a it, Coke. I couldn't change history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I appreciate this. I, I, I did like parts of this. I won't say like when I, when I messaged you on Facebook, I did like it. It did have a lot of issues. I liked the first 30 minutes of it. The first 26 minutes, I actually did kind of like that because it, gave, it got me thinking, like, how would you – what would you do to stop this from happening? And, that's, and that was just me just brainstorming things. I didn't turn into, like, John Nash start writing things on walls. <laughs> well, no, but, that's why I reached uh, out to you about this because, again, it was sight unseen, and I know you're a history guy. And just when you pull one thread, like, what does that mean? And this pulled so yeah. many that it you – it was it was never going to be capable of like accounting for the things it was trying to do. I was just hoping that it was trying to do something that was complete, and I don't know if we got there. That's where it I'm kind of with this. Two different episodes. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It was a two part. It was obviously a two part episode or two different, totally different episodes. It it was just weird. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't like a, 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 a straight through line. I mean, I know the Twilight Zone can get weird, but this is just. It was like, what? I mean, all yeah. the momentum that it had, like, screeched to a halt as soon as he went back to Indiana. Which, I and mean, I believe that's true of anybody who goes to Indiana. Like, time to screech yeah, to a halt. Yeah. That's where I'm going to throw that out there. 
Um, if you've ever been there, it is flat and full of corn. And what's a Hoosier? No, no one knows. You know, like just... I spent time in Oklahoma. I don't wish that on anybody. <laughs> so, all right, uh, Terry, do you have any other notes about the episode? Because I do have a little bit of trivia, other than the various changes to the script. No, I didn't have any more notes on the okay. episode. So two things I want to mention here that uh, uh, Dana Andrews, who played Paul Driscoll in this episode, next episode, his brother, Steve Forrest, plays the main character. So we're going to talk about his younger brother in uh, the next episode, The Parallel. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, originally intended to open, this episode was originally intended to open Paul Driscoll and Har- Harvey having a, a much bigger political discussion, but it was judged too boring before the final cut. Thank God. I don't need that. I didn't need much more of that. Um, a public relations firm on behalf of dairy producers wrote Serling about their disappointment with his suggesting that milk had high amounts of strontium 90. (laughs) Like, so he had to write a letter like being like, I was not trying to imply that milk's bad. He's like, in fact, he's like, I'm an avid milk drinker. Like he, he like, he put on the charm just to appease like the milk producers because they were upset that it was implied that in the 20th century, there was like, you know, high levels of bad chemicals in milk. And that just shows you the time it is where it's like, how dare you like besmirch milk? <laughs> like after all this that was going on in the episode, you know, like Hitler's in this episode. I don't think people were worried about milk, but someone wrote a letter to Serling and he had to like kind of smooth it over. So I thought that was really funny. See, that's, that's so funny that somebody would analyze that out of this entire episode. I have no idea what you're even talking about right now. Well, okay. So when, like, when, when, when Paul was like first like bitching at Harvey, he's like basically saying in the 20th century, like you don't even know what you're consuming. Like how much strontium 90 was in your milk today? Like how many chemicals are you taking in? Like there was this whole monologue of him being basically being like, there's all this process stuff that you're having right now. Are you even happy? Like, and that was the beginning parts of the episode, which again, I, I don't fault you for forgetting that because that was like, this thing, this isn't, this isn't the worst episode of the Twilight Zone I saw. It is definitely like in the bottom third of things I never want to revisit. And I hate to say that because we brought Trevor on. But like, hey, watch this episode. I didn't like it. Like, <laughs> um, you know, but you don't know what you don't know until you watch it. Right. And I feel like season four has had a lot of weird stuff, but there's been some hidden gems here. And I thought this might be one of them. And I was wrong about that. So, Yeah. Uh, milk drinkers, uh, sorry, milk producers were upset that uh, Serling was besmirching their quality of milk, and that's yeah, that's a sixty-three problem. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's funny. I just, it's just like one of those things that when I looked at the episode as a whole, I, I, that's not even something that it crossed my mind. So apparently, there's some people like blowing whistles as soon as I hear certain things on (laughs) dialogue net. Like, oh no! How dare you talk about milk? Next you're going to say that 2% is worse than, like, skim. I don't know. I got nothing. Um, Yeah. That's impossible. Skim is just water that tries to be milk. (laughs) I I will say that I've leaned into skim milk uh, to to, uh, accompany coffee and some other things, just because, you know, it's, it's... it's just black coffee. I can't do. You got to give me a little bit, and it, and if skim is just the whispers of milk, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the essence like, of milk. It's the echoes of milk. I, I, I like that. That the whispers of milk. 
It's good. If it's just, it's just like, like I take like a jug of two percent, open it near, uh, near a cup of coffee. Like, you know. <laughs> all right. Um, so I, I, I Trevor, you watched the episode. Did you take any notes? Is there anything else you want to talk about the episode and prop before we get to the twist rating? No, no. I, I just kind of went along with it and the little. I mean, I didn't take any notes. Honestly, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff. Like, That's okay. Stuff is Terry and I don't I either. It's fine. Browse. We just, we just roll through. It's fine. I, I did more of a dive into like Serling and his his military experience and the Battle of Letty. Then I let me into okay. Let me read about the Battle of Letty. Okay. Oh, there's a Battle of Letty Golf. Let me read about about the Battle of Letty Golf. So that was where my kind of line went to. I was like Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone, history. Like really hard left. Well, I feel like when we get so to season five and we get to a certain was it a, a a kind of stopwatch. I know that I know that one deals with uh, stopping of time and war. Maybe we'll bring you back in for that. I feel I feel like that deals with something a little bit like more war related. Um, so I, I think that one might provide context. We'll see. I could be completely wrong. It might it might just be one minute of somebody having the best time of their life. I can't remember, but we'll get there. So, I, but I appreciate. Uh, your depth and your deep dive and your history knowledge, because this has brought a lot more color to this episode than it brought to itself. Oh, no problem. I I enjoyed it. Like, it's, I, I didn't know about this. I've, I've never seen probably half, not, more than half the episodes you guys ever talk about. So it was kind of a neat one to kind of like, now, now I'm going to have to sit down and go through all of Twilight Zone, which seems like a task now. But, no, not really. Um, I mean, I the majority. You, I, know, I appreciate you, you uh, invite me on for this and thinking about me for this one. I, I really do. Yeah, no, and but the majority of the Twilight Zone is not an hour long. Most of them are twenty-two minutes, and I just feel bad because I'm like, hey, Terry, you want to come in and watch all these hour-long episodes and talk about it? <laughs> like, like, hey, friend, I was in your wedding party. You want me to beat you over the head with like hour-long Twilight Zone episodes? <laughs> like, <laughs> This was the true wedding gift, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's let's rate the twist and we'll get our way out of here. So, that Paul would learn lesson, I don't know, a one. And just again, that as much as I the twist rating doesn't dictate how I feel about the episode. However, I just I don't know if there's a twist here. If that the the, the, the smart ass guy that felt like he's better than everybody got like his own kind of comeuppance, that's a Twilight Zone trope. And it, and it didn't, it, none of it like was fresh to me. So I'm going to throw a one out there out of one out of five. Yeah. So I, I'm going to have to adhere to that as well. It seemed like the image of what was going to happen at the end of the episode was played out in every other scenario. Like that he, especially with the gun and trying to take out Hitler, you knew that this was the events were going to happen no matter how you try to play into them. It's going to happen. So it's just a one for me. Not that I dislike the episode, but that's the, the twist rating. There it is. Yeah. So Trevor, one to five, how would you rate the twist? Or or if there's a different twist that you feel like, because sometimes with these hour-long episodes, there might be multiple arguments for what a twist is. I, I just don't know where the other one is. I'd have to probably just go with the hat trick on you guys. I'd give it a one. There really wasn't a twist. So it was more like a morality thing and – how like see it was more like a told you so than a twist is how I would probably put uh, put this one. That's fair. Um, there really wasn't it. Really, there wasn't a twist to it. There wasn't like a shock and all. It was just at the end. It's like Harvey's like I, I told you so. <laughs> like, that's kind of how it was. Yeah. 
All right. So that's going to do it for our talk about uh, No Time Like the Past. Again, uh, Trevor, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate that. We really appreciate the conversation and the depth because it makes us sound smarter than we really are. So we appreciate that. Um, and I hope you will come on again. <laughs> I, I just listen to hardcore history all the time. So I just, you know, I, I and Carlin by osmosis. So I just, I just take it in and regurgitate it. Well, that's hey. funny that you mentioned Dan Carlin. Uh, and one, he, I've not listened to Hardcore History because I'm intimidated as all get out with him. Um, so, I, I if I, you want to do your stepping challenge, there you go. Put that <laughs> on. That's fair. If I want to get my ten thousand steps in, I'll listen to him. I'm sure that's that's probably a good call. Today, I watched episodes of Rick and Morty. That is, that is not a lot of depth there. I'll be honest. So. I watched Futurama with my son. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, yeah, before we talk about the next episode, let's just uh, get to the things that people can find us on. And I have um, a gift to give people. So this will be surprising. So you guys can find us on Facebook at Strange Hideways. Um, that's our Facebook page. I post uh, random images of the episode and make silly comments. You can find us there and comment about this episode. Uh, you can uh, email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast, please rate and review us. That would help others to find us. And, uh, you know, that would be great. Let, let Just tell one friend, like right now, we're all stuck indoors. If someone wants to binge something, why not the Twilight Zone? There there are way, like, worse things to watch right now. So if you if you like the show, let other people know. And then hopefully they'll enjoy our commentary along with us. Here is the surprise. I told Terry about this before we started recording. Um, actually, I got to ask you, Trevor, how did you watch the season four episode? How did you have access to this? Uh, Hulu, actually. Yeah. Hulu or I think it was Hulu. Yeah. Hulu, Hulu or has, Amazon Prime or Netflix. Yeah. Or one, one of the, I, I, I can't remember. Because I think, I think it was, I think it was uh, Netflix actually, if I remember correctly. I can't remember. So either Hulu, one of them was like, it yeah. was, it was seasons one, two and three and then five. Like they missed four completely. Yeah. So one there's, of those streaming platforms. there's some weird rates issues. So Netflix only has one, two, three and five. Hulu has all five. Uh, CBS All Access yeah, has all cool. five. Uh, the reason I was going to mention this is because CBS All Access actually has a free month right now for people. It was normally like a week or two, but because of everything that's going on, they've opened up a free month. Uh, because like they're they're doing it to try to encourage people to watch Star Trek Picard, which they should because it's a fun fun series. But seasons one through five of the twilight zone are available right now on cbs all access you guys can get a free 30 days if you want to watch season four don't have access otherwise this is your time now to go in and get your free 30 days and watch it and um so about a year ago uh i covered um with the show we covered the first season of the jordan peele twilight zone series that came out like last may and we had it on our patreon so today I went and changed the paywall on the Patreon to uh, free, like access to everybody. So if people don't watch the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, all 10 episodes that are up right now, and they should, it, it, go go watch it and go listen to our talks about those episodes. Uh, all 10 are up. You just got to go to the Patreon for Strange Highways and click on it there. It's not on our regular podcast feed, but there's still like 10 plus hours of content there if you want to watch those episodes. And hear our thoughts and discussion about it. So, why not? You know, if you if you're more interested in, in different Twilight Zone, check it out. If not, you can just keep trucking along with us in season four. So, 
That I don't I don't call it a gift because it already exists, but it just makes more sense because CBS All Access is available right now. So check it out. Yeah, uh, we appreciate uh, everybody who's listening. Uh, check those episodes out. Uh, we're really excited to give you that extra bit of content. And uh, obviously, there's something else for you to listen to, Trevor. Check out those episodes too. <laughs> yeah, go 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 watch the Blue Scorpion. That's a really fun episode, and also uh, the Wonder Kind. I, I have. I haven't seen any of the Jordan Peele stuff, so I do want to dive into that. I, I love Jordan Peele. Like his his stuff is magnificent, so I'm really excited to uh, to watch those. Yeah, and those episodes are also like an hour long, and they're very hit or miss at times too. But Rewind's an amazing episode. Uh, and again, the Wonder Kind I liked a great deal. Other people didn't because I felt like it was a little too close to home. If you watch it, you'll see mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Uh, Blue Scorpion's okay. great. It's about a haunted gun. Like there's some good stuff to be had there. So. Please, people, just go find it. It's on Patreon slash Strange Highways. Google it. You'll find it. It's there. Click on it. You guys can listen to it. So, all right. uh, Next episode that we're dealing with here, which has the brother of the guy from this episode. I'll read the Sterling intro, and then we'll be on our way out. The Parallel. Next on Twilight Zone, we take a page out of a book on the space age, and we project as to a couple of degrees as to what conceivably might happen to an astronaut if suddenly and inexplicably in the middle of an orbit he disappears. Our story tells you how, why, and where. It stars Steve Forrest, brother of um, this guy, Dan Andrews. It's called The Parallel. So... Getting some more like space sci-fi. I like that this is a space age in like six years before we touch the moon. So haven't seen it. I'm interested. So yeah, that's our episode. Uh, thank you again, Trevor, for coming on. And thank you, Terry, for uh, putting up with uh, quarantining and not seeing me face to face. I miss your face, Terry, uh, daily. I just want you to know that. I'm, I'm sure you do, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. Do you have facial hair? I don't even remember anymore. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm actually stroking my long beard right now, <laughs> wishing I was there. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, we couldn't be there together. But yeah, it's so and if uh, if this sounds weird, it's because we're in different different spots. And uh, we promise to finally get back in the same room together at some point, hopefully. Eventually. Soon. So, all right. That's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed this talk about no time like the past. See you next week for the parallel. And in the meantime, if you're going to go change history, like plan ahead for God's sake, please. <laughs> yeah. For serious sake, like take some notes. The most safe and efficient at all the rate of endiobstruent properties for the cure of scrofula, king's evil, white swellings, indolent tumors, gout, scurvy. It's cost 25 cents a bottle. It's guaranteed to immediately alter a depraved or impure state of the blood or any of the fluids of the body.